Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Comedy Filbirds podcast. Very special themed episode Themed today. episode, which, a.k.a. Chris is on vacation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're visiting family. That's the other one. visiting movie. family, yes. so this is pre-taped. You pre-taped. don't know when. You yep. don't know where. We don't know where. No, don't no. Know where. Yeah, but it's, it's all a mystery. You just know it's in your ears, yep. and we're going to be talking movies, <laughs> so don't you worry your pretty little heads. I'm very excited. We're going to be talking about classic movies. Yes. This We do this every year. Yes. We were a little late but uh, this year, but really excited to talk to Alan Havey and about the uh, Turner Classic Movies Film Festival. He goes to the festival every year. Um, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, ooh, boo, boo. Um, all right, let's introduce him. How about that? Let's do it. Instead of just talking about him, yeah. like he's not in the room. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, one of the uh, um, premier comedians of the last, say, two decades mm-hmm. around there ish. I'd, I'd say uh, three. Go ahead. Three. Okay, three decades. <laughs> Don't lie about my age, kids. <laughs> First thing, be honest, you comedy film nerds. And actually, one of the uh, initial comedy film nerds writers when we first started, before we had a podcast, it was one of the first writers. um, He's got a chapter or two in the book. Yes. Got in the ground floor. That's what I did. (laughs) Track these guys down. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Alan Havey. Great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Love talking Turner classic movies. Yeah. Ah, it's 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 honestly my only disappointment is that we're always too busy to go to this goddamn I festival. Know. Like we were, you always we were, come back going, why aren't you guys? Yeah, here? I know we were on the we were shooting the movie this time next year. Definitely, yeah, we're gonna block it. Saying out. that for the last three years, I know it's, it's got to end. They put out the dates pretty early, yeah. like four or five months in advance. We got to block it you out. You have a calendar. <laughs> I know it's on your calendar. Put it there. You would I love this, and you bring along and do a podcast there. Mm-hmm. You know, you could interview people in line, find out where people are from. It's just, it's, a, it's an amazing event. Look at this guy. That's what we do. We make this a whole thing next year. We, yes. we set up shop there. We interview people. That's well, you got to talk to TCM, or you can do it outside the Well, grounds. we'll get it squared away, I think. I don't want yeah. you to suck any juice from uh, B- Bob Osborne, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to steal anybody's thunder. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, they've turned, I mean, they've obviously been very good to us. They were very open about yeah, letting well, us we, get Yeah, maybe we could, uh, you know, we'll interview Bobby O. Oh, I like it. Mm-hmm. Bobby O. On good the, luck on, with that. On the show. Yeah. Good luck with that. You want to interview Bob Dylan? And you have a better shot. Well, <laughs> during film festival time, that guy is swamped. Yeah, it's amazing too. He is swamped, he, but he's there. His energy is amazing. He introduces so many films every day. I don't know how the wow. guy does it. Well, let's talk about first of all, which is sort of it, it, it is sort of in this theme that you were on this past uh, season or half season of Mad Men. They're breaking it up into two last seasons or whatever. Was it eight and eight or something like that? Seven and seven. Seven and seven. That was AMC's idea. Yeah. Didn't they do that with Breaking Bad? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. They're all doing that now. Yeah. Um, I think it has something to do with money. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. (laughs) I just might guess. (laughs) I met the people at AMC, very nice people. Charlie Collier, the president, Mm -hmm. a lot of the guys there. But, you know, uh, they're in commerce. They're there Mm -hmm. to make money. I, I think... Matt and, and everyone on the Mad Men team, and as a fan, we all want to see 14 juicy episodes. Right. You know, to finish this, this great uh, television show, their last season. But I really enjoyed uh, watching, knowing that it was only going to be seven, I valued each showing more. So it made it seem like a full season right. to me. What was the whole experience? Because it's funny, I remember you and I were working in New Orleans right after season one had dropped and we were both talking about how much we loved the show. And I remember saying like, I kind of know John Hamm and he was one of those guys that struggled a lot in Hollywood. Like he was just bouncing from thing to thing. And I remember he even saying through a mutual friend, like, I don't know, I might have to, 
get out, sell my house and move back to the Midwest or whatever. And then so when sell this, his house. Yeah. Probably didn't have, did he have a house? Out yeah, here? he did. Wow. Yeah. So he wasn't struggling that much. Well, that's a beautiful thing. Trust me. Mortgage payments can pile yeah. up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you mean you still have to pay every yeah, month? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all it takes is one bad pilot yeah. season, and but all of a sudden, isn't that great that he didn't give up? No, I did that tenacity, yeah. and you knew him from comedy because he was a big stand-up fan. Yeah, right? he was a fan of stand-up. He would come to the shows at the M Bar, like yeah. back when they were doing um, Scott. When what was it? Comedy Death Ray at the M Bar, and mm-hmm. you're doing the Benson Interruption. And he would come to those shows, and uh, you know. He, he he was always like hanging around because he just dug it, and now I mean, which is why he's so good as a regular guest on Doug Loves Movies, and and he's he's like knows a lot about movies and is very funny. So it's a really cool thing. So so going into it, obviously you loved this show. So what the audition process, all of it, what was that like? Well, I auditioned in season two. Okay, for Bobby Draper, the kid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they changed him so much. <laughs> Uh, season two, when uh, Peggy gets out of the hospital after she has her baby, and these are spoiler alerts. Yeah. You will have to say if you haven't <laughs> seen it. Uh, I auditioned for the doctor questioning her. It was a nice little scene, and it was a small scene, but I went in and I said, this is great. If I get this part, I'll be a part of the show. That's all I really wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't get the part. They went with a younger guy, naturally, you know. Um, and then... I told my manager, I said, listen, I, I know you guys do everything you can for me. you got to get me in on Mad Men. Just get me in the door. Let me, I'll do the rest. Just get me in. So season two, three, four, five goes by. No calls, no auditions. <clears throat> it's coming up on season six. And right before Christmas, my manager sends me an email. Early Christmas present, you have an audition on the 18th for Mad Men. And so I got the, the signs. I go, oh, this is great. This guy's my age. He's my attitude. He's a wise ass. I'm a comedian. This is fantastic. So I worked on it for two, three days. I really got it down and went in. And the audition went great. It's really a, a fun room for actors. Sometimes it can be intimidating. Sometimes the energy is low. You walk in, Matt's there. His producers are there. The casting people are there. They're, they're taping it. They take it very seriously. And he's very empathetic to actors. So it went really well. Two hours later, I'm home. I get the call. You got it. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Great. So I go, I go to the table read. I, I shoot it. Uh, it turns out Ham knows me from my work, so that's exciting. And John Slattery, who plays Roger Sterling, I mm-hmm. interviewed years ago on my talk show. He remembered. remembered oh, man. Oh, cool. Up all night? Uh, night well, after night. Night after night, night. that's right. He yeah. remembered you didn't. Um, <laughs> I wasn't on the show, hey? So Maybe yeah. you bring me on out of college, yeah, and I would have. Out of college, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were still a kid. You were still a kid. Um, so I immediately feel comfortable. Right. You know, these guys know me, and, and this, which is a big thing when you're going on to a hit TV show. Late in the game. Late in the yeah. game. All these people, it's not a breakout. It's, this is an established show that has won a lot of awards. Everyone on that set has paid a lot of money. And, and you know. It's already got a I've really. Heard, I've never been in that, exp- that, that position, but I've heard so many friends go, sometimes you work on a show like that, and it's intimidating. Nobody talks to you. Like, it, could be, it can be, make it like. Because by then, they've got a method and a machine that right. pretty much goes no, all the way through. I mean. Uh, Weiner runs a smart uh, shop, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, you know, it's not touchy feely, huggy huggy, but everybody's just like, hey, welcome, you're here. Hi, how are you? Here's your mark. This is what we'd like you to do. Do it this way. It's very clear, the very direction. So you walk into an atmosphere of, of, 
people taking their job seriously, but having fun. Mm. No, nobody's uptight. They didn't feel rushed. There was no yelling. They're not taking themselves too seriously. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And, That's the key. Yeah. And uh, it so, was the episode of I'm not mistaken where you got you were like in the airport, right? right. The rival. Mm-hmm. That was season six. See, last year, season last year. six, yeah. episode six. And I'm in there, and uh, I give him a hard time about something. And then we wrap. That's it. Hey, nice meeting you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then I go home. And the show's not even on the air yet. And right before it starts premiere, I get an email, we want you again. You're, they want to bring your character back. So I read that email. I walk into my room. I drop. I go, <laughs> I take a nap. You know, just like, oh. So I go back, and I see what it, what it is, the scene at the elevator. It's two lines, four words. I got more tension from that scene than anything because they fired Draper, and I'm coming out of the elevator with Duck, who's a headhunter, bringing me in for Draper's job. We get there a little early, and I pr- press the elevator say, going down. Well, I got more shit for that and more tension from that, just that. So are you going to be back, blah, blah, blah. So this summer, I didn't hear anything. I didn't, I didn't project, oh, I'm going to be back. I said, hey, you had two shots. Don't get greedy. Yeah, you know, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were on a great show twice. You, 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 mm-hmm. You're one of the few characters that gives shit to Don Draper yeah. in the history of that show. You know? <laughs> uh, so that's exciting. And uh, then mid-October, my manager calls me and says, you know, I talked to Matt. He's thinking of bringing your character back. I'm like, oh, my God. And then I'm watching the first game of the World Series, Cardinals and the Reds. I'm a big Cardinals fan. Uh, playing the Red Sox. The Cardinals are dropping the balls like the bad news bears. I go, shit. I'm watching this guy. Then I get email. I look at it. Hi, this is Heather. Matt would like you to prepare these three scenes for like a little acting session. You know, we do this sometimes when we bring characters back. So I, I look at the scenes and they're the exact scenes that were in the first episode. I'm taking over Draper's office, my character. I'm the boss now. And I'm like, oh, and I have three big scenes. I'm like, holy shit. So I print it out. I turn off the World Series, which never happens. I underline <laughs> it. Hand it to my wife and collapse. Mm-hmm. You know? Then that night, before I go to bed, I get all the lines down. Three days later, I go in with him for 45 minutes. Now I know that if I don't go in there and do a good job, they'll say, oh, that was nice, but mm, we need an actor with better experience or chops mm-hmm. or whatever. So it was my part to lose. So that was, that audition, that one moment in my life, and including all the Wettermans I've been on and working in Afghanistan, was the most pressure and the most nervous I've ever felt. And I called two buddies of mine, Brian Koppelman and David Levine. Didn't tell them I was auditioning for, just told them I have a big audition. What's your best advice? Because they cast movies and they've done a lot of work in show business. And they gave me the, the greatest advice. And it was personal to me, so I can't repeat it. But immediately I was filled with confidence, real confidence, and I was relaxed and I went in and uh, just had the best time working with Matt on these three scenes that were wound up in the first episode. Well, now, even though you can't give away the advice you got, if another actor asked you that, what would you tell them? If I knew him as well as Brian and David knew me, I would pull something out of his life that he had done and said, remember when you did this, you know who you are, and just don't forget that this is what you're bringing. They basically gave, made me sense my own value that they've known for years. Uh, that you, it just unnerves you. Just well, that makes sense. Well, because the yeah, thing, yeah. honestly, what I saw was in, in that scene where you're like addressing the group, and then you like dress down Peggy. You're like, look, sweetie, like whatever that that scene. Yeah. And you had a couple scenes like that where you sort of give it to Peggy, kind of I'm the man of the office kind of thing. It reminded me, 
I've known you a long time. I remember me, you, and Doug Benson worked together in Thanksgiving of 97 at the <laughs> Reno <laughs> Hilton. We did the improv at the Reno Hilton. And, you know, Doug and I are younger, and we're, like, partying every night. And you and I, it was, like, Saturday. And so Friday after the show, we said, I don't know, something like, hey, tomorrow, Graham, let's get lunch. I said, yeah, lunch tomorrow at noon. So Doug and I, whatever, drink and gamble till 4 or 5 in the morning. And I, this is pre-cell phone days, so I go to bed and I, I had the brain power to call downstairs and say, do not disturb sign. Because that was back when you, the only way you got a hold of somebody is you called their hotel room. Right. So I said, do not disturb sign on the phone, right? So I sleep through the day. Doug then gets in some all night poker tournament and Havy's the headliner. <laughs> and, and he finally comes banging on my door at like four in the afternoon. No, it was, it was closer to show yeah, yeah, time. Show time was at eight or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's literally six thirty, seven o'clock yeah. and he bangs on the door and I like wake up and, and <laughs> this is my favorite. And whatever I am at that point, I'm 26, 27 or something like that. And he's like, Hey Graham, what's going on? I'm like, oh, sorry, man. We're out partying. He goes, all right, you know, you blew me off for the thing. We got two shows tonight. Let's, pull it together, and then walks away. <laughs> he, I look at Graham, like he just crawled out of, I don't know, a foxhole. And I go, all right, let's go. We got a show to do. Get it together. Yeah. And he goes, he was a little like, hey, let's pull it. Let's get it together. I go, let's get it together. And there's walk down the hallway. And I remember just laughing. And then we get to the show. We're all laughing about it. Because he was like, I don't know where Benson is. He's in some tournament. You're not picking up the phone. Let's get it together. <laughs> and we started calling him Coach Havy after that. But to me, though, you I have that. Listen, if a director asks anything of you, something you've never done, you have it inside you. Yeah. Once you pass the age of 30, you've right. got anger, mm-hmm. you've got niceness, you've got joy, love. You've uh, had it all. You've curiosity. lost right. stuff. You've, you've, you've lost someone in yeah, your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when they ask me to do that, oh, yeah, no problem. And he, that's, that's well, the thing that those scenes, I was like, well, that's you. It wasn't like you were just playing Alan Havy, but I said they captured the best essence of you. Now, granted, you've been a lifelong comedian. You're not an office guy. But I go, that's if you put Alan Havy in an office who's in charge of people in that time period. Oh, God, yeah. That's exactly how you would have done it. And I think it's like what you're talking about, like that Matthew Weiner really got that out of you. And I felt like, Weiner, sorry. That's okay. But here's the thing. I didn't write anything. I know. I didn't ad lib. You don't. There's right. no, not a syllable you say that isn't on that script. Right. So in that context, it just fit perfectly. Mm-hmm. This character that I was able just to slip into. And the irony is, I've been watching it for years. I love Peggy. Right. She's like my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I relate more to Peggy Olsen on that show than Don Draper because Peggy left that Catholic world. Right. And went across that bridge, which which is ten thousand miles into Manhattan. Right, you know, in the, especially in that era, women doing that in the early sixties and making those advances—that's I love that character. So the irony was, once I get on the show, I'm dressing everybody down. You know? it, it was great, <laughs> and it was like it was also too like a a statement about especially this this these this season six and season seven is like sixty eight, sixty nine, seventy. It's yeah. it's late, so the the big cultural shift it's in the middle of it happening. Right. And so you're like the old guard who's still like, all right, honey, put the apron back on. 
and she's had to fight through all this stuff. And it was just, it was just, I mean, it's why that show is so great. It's so well written and just. Yeah, I don't think he wanted to put the apron on. He, by that time, I think Lou, where he was, had accepted that women were in the workplace, mm-hmm. even racially, when he had to deal with his secretary that right. he was mad at, who was African American. Okay, I know the deal. We can't fire her, just move her. So Lou's not, well, what's going on here? You right. Know, Lou knows what's going on. He's not an unhip. He looks unhip there. Right. You know, because he left this very conservative. Uh, agency, Dancer Fitzgerald. I did a little research on there. They were pretty conservative. So, okay, I'll go in. I heard about this Draper guy blowing it at the Hershey meeting. I'll come in and I'll save the day. I'm a nice guy. It's great, too, watching as this that, that season, I don't want to give too much away if anyone hasn't seen it, but then, like, Draper comes back and you're like, whoa, what's, yeah. like, that, the way you played that was, I, I, I just love it. Everything that. I did on that show, I was directed. Of course. To mm-hmm. do. I mean, I did my homework. I made my decisions for the table read. But after the table read, Matt comes up with the director of that particular episode, and they, they talk about how they want it to go, how they want you to play it. And it's great because you get to do your homework, and you know, if you, especially if you don't have to shoot the next day, you get some time in that uh, scene in your head. And uh, that's what makes, uh, made it easy for me in a way. It was effortless because they tell you where to stand, they dress you, they put the clothes, you know, they do your hair. Uh, you don't have to worry about anything. Your props, all you have to do is be be present and say your lines. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what's helped me the last three years, too, is meditation. Mm-hmm. And I bring it up again. I think it's made me a more present actor at auditions. Uh, therefore, I get cast more. Mm-hmm. I've been cast more. And I think mm-hmm. that's, as I look back, well, what have I done differently? Definitely meditation. Mm-hmm. Well, now, yeah. now, when you're on the set of like uh, a show like Mad Men, I know you've been a fan, is there any... like? Did it have like a similar feel to like the TCM Film Festival, like the set of Mad Men, like no. that kind of era? No, 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 it didn't. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. as a totally TCM. I'm going there as a fan, purely as a fan right. to watch. Mm-hmm. I go to Mad Men said, I am a fan, but I got a job to do. Sure, and I'm not. You know, I did go around and sit in all the chairs just to relax and meditate and sketch. I did a little sketching, so I I, I knew where I was, and every now and then it would hit me, holy fuck. I'm on the set, man. That's awesome. And then I went back while I was shooting and watched the, all the seasons again on mm-hmm. Netflix. Yeah. And when it got back to Sterling Cooper Price, I go, yeah, that's that's my office there. That's what that seemed. That's know. so cool. But I really watching these actors over the last six years has been a great acting lesson. Oh, they're mm-hmm. phenomenal actors. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the cast, I mean, uh, just being open to me and welcoming and and. and Kidding around with me at times, and I was included. And you know, we played catchphrase, mm-hmm. sit around. It was just great times. They're a family, and I felt like a guest at their table and mm-hmm. immediately fit in. Oh, that's, oh, that's great. great. That's yeah. great that they do that because yeah. not all sets and shows no, are like that. make you no. feel welcome. What, well, let's get in. Right, yeah, let's talk about the festival now. Uh, first of all, uh, was there any differences that you noticed from this year as opposed to the previous years with the festival? Oh, uh, a few more people. Mm-hmm. They opened up some more screening venues, but other than that, no, it ran smoothly. It was a lot of fun. It was on the weekend ending on the 13th when Mad Men premiered, so that mm-hmm. was kind of fun to have those moments and then go home Sunday night after the festival ended and go home and see the first episode of Mad Men, and no one knew I was on because I couldn't tell anybody. But the festival was great, and I went to a press conference with Robert Osborne, and mm-hmm. just a really interesting guy, a lot of respect for movies, and one of the seminars I attended uh, was headed by uh, Scott McGee, and they do the promotional uh, trailers, the new trailers they do. They take old films and 
they it's just and I've always loved that part about uh, Turner Classic not just the movies but how they promote and present the movies the original documentaries but in this seminar they showed the trailers from years past and some of the memoriam tributes they've had which are great on Turner and they, it really gives more value to these films it really enhances classic movies and that is that was the best seminar I, I attended hmm. just because it's like just these people are gone and yet we still have this work of theirs that we can enjoy and they're never right. and we can promote it in a way that will make it more interesting to a modern day audience mm-hmm. like they use uh you know they use contemporary music in some of these trailers and you see it and i've seen these movies over the years but when i see the trailers that they put together do they recut a trailer me- from scratch yeah yeah they, they do they okay i mean they sh- they'll show uh, trailers intact like the classic ones yes. yeah uh huh but then they'll make uh, their own trailer of a movie or a theme or the star of the month or you know like one uh, month they had all the classic westerns except Shane that was back several years ago and mm-hmm. so they showed that trailer and the way they edit it the music they use and it just makes God, I gotta see this again I miss this movie you know I've seen it but I so or if you hadn't seen it you're gonna be like oh, well this looks no, this amazing this looks great yeah or to, to a you know a kid in their 20s or teens who's in the classic movies, this is going to enhance their curiosity and their passion. And I think that's what Turner Classic Movies has done. And they're celebrating their 20 years. So they're still wow. kind of young, right? Mm-hmm. in a way. But this is the kind of channel I dreamed of as a kid. So mm-hmm. what did you see? Let's get into some of the things that you, that you really... Well, the first night they had a, a, a renewed showing of Oklahoma. Let's make sure you get on top of that. Uh, whatever Happened to Baby Jane... Fifth Avenue Girl, Cheaper by the Dozen. Uh, the one show I went to that night, only one on the first night, was The Heiress. And that was great. And I had seen it on Broadway. I'd never seen the film mm-hmm. in completion or on the uh, big screen, and it was terrific. So was that the, So that was the first time you'd seen the film? Yeah. Oh, all, great. All the way through. This so. is from 1949. It stars Olivia de Havilland and Montgomery Clift. And what's, uh, what's The Heiress about? It's uh, briefly. It's about a woman who's uh, homely. She's the only child of this rich man, and he's uncertain whether he wants to leave his money to her if she marries this man who's courting her. And uh, it's it's kind of a soap opera, but it's really well done. Hmm. And I forget who the guy that got up and talked about the movie, uh, but he said he threw in some things like Olivia De Havilland was carrying suitcases up the staircase, and. Uh, the director, William Wyler, wasn't getting the emotion he wanted, and he kept doing it. And finally, she, Olivia got so upset, she threw the suitcase at him. It was empty. She said, put stuff in the suitcase. Now, go up. Got it. You know, it's because she was carrying an empty suitcase, she didn't capture that. So you hear that oh, story. God, then you that's watch, such a great wow. story. <laughs> and then you watch the movie, and then you see that scene, and you hear people going, you know, yeah, that's it. That's it. She just needed to carry something heavy. She looks angrier that the yeah, suitcases she, are full. Well, she's already, you know, thrown them at William Wyler, but now mm-hmm. they're fulfilled. And it was, that was a great moment right there. That's mm-hmm. why I go, you know. And plus you see it with an audience. Oh, yeah. So even in this thing, there are laughs. There mm-hmm. are interesting little tidbits. And again, <clears throat> you know, I mean, Turner Classic is great. Watching a movie on that you've never seen, a classic on TV, is, is great. Seeing it on the big screen big, as it was intended. Yeah, is, I mean, like, like I guess I just yeah. saw um, 
uh, Singing in the Rain, like mm-hmm. I said, that revival at the Arclight uh, a month or two ago. And it was fantastic to see an old classic movie like that with an entire audience that can't wait to see it oh. again. It, it's like nothing like it. You feel like you're transported back in time to actually watch this movie with, with and, fans. And I'm curious to want to know the percentage of people at that screening you just talked about who had never seen it before. Mm-hmm. That's At a great all. question. I, I think yeah. it's a mix. I think it was like people that loved it and people are like, you know, I've always wanted to see this movie. I'm going to go see it on the big screen. Last year they showed it, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Singing in the Rain, mm-hmm. at the uh, Chinese. And Debbie Reynolds came out before and did an interview with Robert Osborne. Oh, wow. She had the audience in the palm of oh, her she, hand. I'm sure. She's still a trooper. She still mm-hmm. wants to. Those, oh, I, I'll, I'll give you a great example Um John Landis was talking, I saw him in a film festival maybe 10 years or so ago, talking about he directed an episode of, um, oh man, that show, Dream On. Right. And um, uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor was on an episode of that show. And he was talking about what these old trained in the studio system actors are like. He said, she showed up on the set. Gracious, how you doing? Met everybody, goes up to the director. Hi, how are you? Oh, this is how I like to work and this, but not like bossy, not prima donna, but right. just like I'm a professional and this is what I do. Then she went to the DP and like, these are the best lenses to use for my face. Went to the hair makeup person. This is what I like to use. Went to the wardrobe. This is what my size, what I like to fit. And he goes, by the end of the shoot, the entire crew was in the palm of her hand. <laughs> what can I get you, Miss Gabor? And, yeah. and she just said, because that was how you were trained. You learn. You knew the lenses for you, the lighting for you, the makeup. I mean, like you learned everything. On top of you learned how to sing, how to dance. You know, because you'd show up to work and they'd be like, "Well, today you're doing a western. Tomorrow you're doing a, a, a you yeah. know, a musical." Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so when I hear stuff like that, do I get just, a day off? No, no. And a lot, a lot of them too also came up in vaudeville. Yeah, in mm-hmm. stage. Well, I would never go on a movie set, and I consider myself a professional actor. And go up to the DP and say, "Here's the best lens to use." Right, I, because I come from a different era. Mm-hmm. But they uh, people anyway. Debbie Reynolds has the audience in the palm of her hand. We're all whipped up into a frenzy. By the time the movie starts, after every number, they're applauding. It was uh, it was like seeing it opening night. You know, it was going back to the fifties and seeing it. So, um, you know, what's but, interesting about that movie too is it's it doesn't have a lot of music in the beginning of it. There's mm-hmm. like a, mm-hmm. like this is a musical, right? And it it doesn't like it's not constant song and dance it's like they take time to set up an actual story um, and a great story and a great story and then it uh you know it unfolds naturally like you it feels like the most natural musical that, that was ever made what's another film you saw uh, it's friday i go early i see zulu on the oh, set with michael Caine. Yeah. it's really Man. great mm-hmm. introduced by alex trebek really who, yeah who's very knowledgeable about uh history and and so he explains historically and uh militarily if that's a word what was going on at that time and what was mm-hmm. this about he, it, and it was a really nice uh, a very young michael intro. king by the way yes Let's see. and, and but, also uh, too but, the, that the, movie has a lot of heavy uh i mean sort of politics and social commentary for the time oh yeah you know because it's talking about i mean sort of like this is the english empire <laughs> yeah yeah we're gonna wipe out all these black people yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, now, playing opposite that at the same time was Touch of Evil. So you do have to make those decisions. Yeah. You also have Great Gardens, Make Way for Tomorrow, The World of Henry Orient, uh, a conversation with Carl Davis. So I decided I'd seen Touch of Evil on the big screen several years ago. I want to see Zulu. So then after that, I, I have a little break. Let me ask you this about Zulu on the big screen. Comparing it to 
because um, it obviously has a lot of big war scenes, a big right. battle scenes. Yes. Now, how did you, in terms of, you know, we've talked about on the show how since Saving Private, the battle sequences in Saving Private Ryan were like ground. They changed how film you, perfection. Yeah. The, 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 how, and and no storyboards. Right. Yeah. Just Steven Spielberg, which is pretty amazing. Um, so they were good battle scenes. You knew it, right. it wasn't. You didn't have CGI. You didn't show. Uh, you know, every person you saw on the screen was actually on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that? I mean, obviously it was Zulu, fine because you you know it was made 1964. Yeah. Right. But, so but but in terms was, of putting it in context of 1964, how was it watching it again now in 2014? It was great. Yeah. It was fantastic. It all worked. Right. There's nothing in it. So that's fake. Or, did you ever see the sequel? No, because the Shaka Zulu was uh, mm-hmm. it was like they almost like I think it was even a prequel that they made. Yeah, Zulu. no, I I you know didn't get into sequels till The Godfather. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, and then after that, I go to see Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, uh, in the, the same theater, the original black and white. Yeah, now Meet Me in St. Louis is there, and I want to see that because there's a discussion with Margaret O'Brien. Mm-hmm. But I've seen Meet Me in St. Louis enough, and I'd like love to hear Margaret. Brian speak, but I hadn't seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers in years, never saw on the big screen. Also, you had it at that same time. These are the decisions you have to make. Thelma Schoonmaker, the film editor, talking about a matter of life and death. Her husband was the director of that film. You got my sister Eileen, and then you got Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. So, you know, those are the, that's just one time frame where you got to make a decision. Right, you make a choice. And, I uh, think you made the right one, though. Well, let me ask I you think, this. Uh, I probably would have gone to see that, too. Now that, And then later that day, I saw The Wine in Winter and oh, uh, the, yeah. the Best Years of Our Lives. So how was it? Oh, no, no. I, I went to see Blazing Saddles with Mel Brooks. Oh, wow. And that was fun. So that's a day right there. I skipped the first showings. I see Zulu, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Lion in Winter. And Blazing Saddles. That's an awesome. Nah, that's, that's quite that's a day. Awesome day. <laughs> the, the time I go home, I'm kind of drunk with celluloid. <laughs> and it's, you know, Mel Brooks, you get to see him. He, he loves his own movies and he's excited. So what he, was his, I mean, his must have been great to introduce. Like, talk, what was yeah. like, did he have any like stories that stood out to you about when they were shooting or? Um, Gig Young originally was going to play the Gene Wilder part, and uh, Gig had a problem with alcohol. He said, I'm dry. And they got the first thing. Apparently, he wasn't dry. He was still detoxing. He wasn't drunk, but he was detoxing. Calls Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder comes out and does it. You know, that to me. And Gene Wilder's perfect in that part. Yeah. Now, if Gig Young had had it together, I'm sure he'd be great. But I love, you know, when that stuff happens and it works out perfectly. Let me ask you this, too, about... Invasion of the Body Snatchers. This is a 1956 version. They did several other ones after that. Um, how did this, in terms of watching it now, you know, there's zombie, there's, there's you know, the whole zombie thing, there's um, The Walking Dead and all this stuff. And I know Body Snatchers isn't zombies, right. but in terms of like scary horror movie, how was that? Because here's what I found. I remember seeing Psycho on the big screen for the first time. I had seen it on video several times. Right. And, and then I was, and then some years had gone by. I saw it like when I was a kid on video or on TV or something like that. And some years had gone by and I watched a lot of horror movies in high school and college and then in my 20s. And I remember it was playing at one of these theaters in uh, the, uh, the New Art in West LA. And I went to go see it like, oh, this will be cool because I love Hitchcock, but it, I'm sure it won't scare me like, these movies today. And I was terrified 
Because Hitchcock's the master. So was <laughs> right. it, like, what was that for you in terms of watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Well, it was such a unique uh, original sco- uh, story, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I saw it when I was a kid, and it just fascinated me. Mm-hmm. Scared the hell out of me. Saw it on TV. And it really holds up. And because it's such an original story, these pods come down, their mm-hmm. people are replaced. What happens to their bodies? We don't know. You know, <laughs> there's some unanswered things there, but yeah. you don't care. You just go along with it. Right. And um, it was like Hitchcock, you know, he goes to a small town, sleepy little town, and there's chaos. Right. Behind the, just behind the door. Right. He does it in The Birds. He does it in uh, Strangers on a Train. These two guys mm-hmm. just meet this very erudite tennis player with this kind of nut job. <laughs> and it's it's all the trappings are beautiful. It's not like spooky town, right. stuff like that. So Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that it happened in this idyllic time in the 50s. and uh, That's what David Lynch played on, so on so many of his things, too. Yeah. Uh, he kind of built on that. Now, now, the thing about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, it's one of those unique movies that it's been remade so many times. Mm-hmm. Chances are you've seen a remake before you've seen the original because yeah. it's been so but if you it really is worth your time to go back and see the original it is still creepy yeah. it does hold up and you know the there was even at the time it, it's um there was allegories towards you know all the um uh some of the remakes to you know the invasion of russia into mm-hmm. you know the southeast asia and all all these kind of like metaphors and allegories there that like well you know the domino theory and all that stuff it was uh played out in the science fiction story uh but you don't really need to know any of that to just enjoy mm-hmm. the actual story that's presented to you like you said pods come down and start to replace people yeah, and that's, that's you it. know that's all that's all you that's really all you need, need. yeah <laughs> well if you guys saturday april 12th of last year uh, classic film festival. Here are, the, here are the movies I saw. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. And then I went to The Great Gatsby with Alan Ladd, which hadn't been shown in 45 years. Wow. And it was a personal favorite of Robert Osborne. So he introduced it. He was a big Alan Ladd fan. Then we watched it. And it wasn't a great film, but it was interesting because I guess they, after it was released, it didn't do well. And the studio kept it under wraps until they released the one with Robert Redford. Yeah. <sighs> um, but uh, Shelley Winters has a great turn in that. It's it's really it was just fun to see one of Osborne's favorite movies. Now what I passed up was The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which I had seen mm-hmm. on the big screen. Right. The Goodbye Girl, Stormy Weather, and How Green Was My Valley, which I wanted to see. But I was there in the spirit of representing comedy film nerds, and I said, well, if it's Osborne's favorite film, one of his favorites, I'm going to go to that. You know, sure. And then I see... Which, uh, by the way, guys, Alan's column on going there is up on the website. Yeah, that's great. You go to ComedyFilmers.com. It's a great column. He writes it every year. Then after The Great Gatsby, Godfather Part Two. Oh, oh I, watch yeah. 40, I watch 45 minutes of it until the senator and Michael have that exchange in the office. I'm, I intend to squeeze you, Mr. Corleone. Yeah. So I watch that scene, and then I run over and watch a new print of A Hard Day's Night. Oh, Hard Day's oh, Night. Is, wow. I saw Hard Day's Night and Godfather 2 on the big screen in re-releases. And Hard Day's Night, the opening of Hard Day's Night is one of the most exciting, fun openings to a movie that you're ever going to have. Like, I don't know of another mega band. I mean, obviously, to put, but 
Do any other bands that have ever been that big, and there's not you can count them on one hand, have they ever put a movie out no. like Hard Day's Night? Well, no, that's no. not now, done granted, anymore. Now, granted, I love Rattle and Hum and all those other, but there's more like concert documentaries, but this was like a No, scripted, they made actually scripted movies. God, it was a blast. Yeah, it was a yeah, blast. I mean, if that you, was introduced by Alec Baldwin interviewing Don Was. Now, by the way, I would, if you two made like a Yellow Submarine type movie, I would go see it. <laughs> I would love to see yeah. that. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be cool if somebody like you two well, did make something like this? Right. Well, but you two, I mean, a movie Yellow Submarine did come out. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like a new band. We haven't seen these, you know, a new band. You want to see an animated movie with a new band? I just want to listen to them. This is not going to happen again. I know. The Beatles are not going to happen. This is unique in that time. Exactly. And And the movie was so much fun. You're talking about Beatlemania was back. Mm -hmm. And it saw it at the Chinese. Huge crowd packed. People going nuts. And when they played the music... It sounded so yeah. good. Oh. Yeah. It just got me on a Beatles kick. And that's one of the things, you know, I mean, you make a good point. That's that's the whole thing. I don't think you're ever going to see this again. I mean, if you, the only way it would happen is if a band um, is like, you know what, we're going to make a movie, we fund our own movie, we make it, and then it somehow becomes a huge hit. Is the only way it would even come close to and something the thing like that, this. And the thing that's so amazing about this is it really was one of those, like, part of it was... We need to market this band for the states or whatever. Like they were big, and 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 how can we show them in another way? Right. And it's brilliant. Like these four, because obviously there are people at that time like, oh, these long-haired hooligans and rock. You know and the roll most and, recent? Yeah, at the you, time they were pretty radical. You know yeah. the most recent release that we had that was an attempt at this? What? Kiss meets the Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's quiet. That's gonna be yeah. next. Year. <laughs> but this is the thing that's so amazing about this. It. It helped the, the 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 section of America that was like these mop tops from the UK. I don't like it. Saw this film and went, "Oh, these are fun kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. these are just these are like regular nice kids, and they're just this fun band. Like they're so the way they're depicted is so. It's from a marketing standpoint, it was really smart and clever. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. you're you're getting to see. Well, as soon as they did the press. Uh, interview mm-hmm. when they got off the plane. Yeah, I think uh, everybody goes, "Oh, these are uh, nice guys, yeah. and they're humorous." And, and but the, so I go from Hard Day's Night, and then I go out and get in line for the same theater showing. And I see Sorcerer. Oh, and I've never seen Sorcerer. I have no idea what it's about. Oh, William, spoiler alert! William Fried- not a Sorcerer in it. <laughs> William Friedkin gets up, talks about it because when it came out, it opened up against a movie called Star Wars. And it did not get any attention. It bombed. William Friedkin directs it? Yeah. Roy Schneider, Scheider is in it? Yep. He, br- he brings up the two guys who did the... Uh, uh, they redid it, so the digital res- restoration. He brings up those guys, introduces them. Then he brings up the, the screenwriter. And he says... And he talked about how it didn't do well and stuff like that, but he's still proud of the film. So I have no idea what this movie's about. And I watch it. Holy shit. It's a thriller. I was on the edge of my seat. It starts out kind of slow. You don't know what's going on, but okay. And you think it's about something else, and then, oh, no, this is it. And it's a remake of a film I've never seen, and I'm glad I didn't see it, called Wages of Fear. But it just came out in Blu-ray. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, it was ago. a re-release. Uh-huh. And Sorcerer was fantastic. Came out in 1977, like you said, up against Star Wars. Uh, Roy Scheider... That guy, I mean, I can watch him in just about it. He's one of those guys that, like, you always, 
he kind fighting of, a shark or flying a helicopter. Whatever, I know. Oh, God. Tracking down heroin dealers. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, go get it. He's a... Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, when I first saw him in French Connection when I was a kid, you know, with my dad, I immediately liked this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Gene Hackman's a little emotional, but this guy, <laughs> he, he's got it down. He fits. He is a cop, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, he was great at it. Friedkin wanted to cast Steve McQueen. Really? Yeah, and Steve McQueen looked at it. He goes, oh, we got to travel? Yeah, read the script. You go to a jungle. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he was seeing Allie McGraw at the time, and he didn't want to be away from her, so he said to her, can you make her an associate producer so she can come with us? And Freakin said no. And then Freakin later said, oh, I should have done it with Steve McQueen. But I think Steve McQueen, see, the Roy Scheider disappears in his roles. You're watching Steve McQueen. He's too cool for the room. I mean, if you look at Great Escape, he wore chinos and a light blue sweatshirt and had a $50 haircut <laughs> yeah. at the time. He just, you know what I mean? He's not going to get, and you had to get down and dirty for this, mm-hmm. for this movie. And I think Roy Scheider is the best, uh, is the best selection for this. I'm glad Steve McQueen was pussy whipped. Because <laughs> he knew, he took Ellie McGraw away from Robert Evans. Right. He knew if he left her alone for two months, it was going to be over. She'd be back in the egg-shaped pool. She'd be... No, no, she wouldn't go back. She'd, she'd find go, somebody else. She'd go down the food chain. She'd be, be with a parking valet guy. Yeah. Steve McQueen didn't want that. But And next to me, watch Sorcerer, was this 18-year-old kid, maybe 19-year-old? Mm-hmm. He was really into the music. Right. Uh, I forget who did. It's electronic music. Tangerine Dream mm. did this great music. But I have... For Sorcerer? Yeah. I didn't realize they were around for that. Yeah, long. electronic music. So this kid was an electronic music freak. He loved the movie and he loved the music. So that's it is based on a book, the the Wages of Fear. Yeah, that they said they did the original movie on. Um, and that's another thing about the film festival. Next to you, there's people from Kansas. Mm-hmm. I, I ran into ladies from Alabama. They go there every year. They go, yeah, we've never been to the beach because we want to see the movies. You know, <laughs> that thing, we, we like to get out and see more of California, but the movies are so good. So I, I, that you know what, that is awesome that people are coming from all over for this festival from uh, from Europe, right? Yeah, I mean because honestly, you're right. Where are you going to see all of these movies projected? And they're they're probably screening a lot of 35 millimeter prints. Correct? Oh yeah, yeah. This is and you know that you're going to these people who do this for a living. You know they're going to give the respect to movies that you mm-hmm. yourself have. Yeah. So not only do you get to go see the movies, but you get to thank personally Robert Osborne, Ben Mankiewicz, all the producers, all the people behind the scenes. And when you have that little placard and you look at the person next to you, you're the same person. That's your brother or sister. You yeah. Know, we're, yeah. We're film fucking geeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are entrenched in it. So when you, it's just, it's just a fun time. Just a, a great time. And I go through a little depression afterwards. Oh. You know? A little withdrawal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, no more... TCM. Not the next year. Yeah, and I'm not a cruise guy. Otherwise, I'd take the cruise too. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see anything on Sunday? Yes, I did. So, Sunday, right before I went home and uh, celebrated. Um, yes, I saw. Uh, what did I see? Fifth Avenue Girls Sunday. Night. What did I see? Um, I oh, on approval. A great English film, obscure film, very funny comedy, and uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, and uh, that was it for the day. 
that was it for me on Sunday because I had to get home. Well, that's, that's now, a, do they that's have a lot of movies. That for is three a lot days. of movies. That's yeah. in your Usually, last two years, I did five movies a day. Right. Yeah, yeah. This year, I, did, I got it down to four because I was getting a little burnt out. Yeah. <laughs> that's still, <laughs> but I'm going to so... get in shape next year. <laughs> and I'm going to see every goddamn movie. <laughs> now, do they have like a closing ceremony like on Sunday nights? Yeah, they too? have a party uh-huh. that people can go to and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert will stand there and what and he'll sign, you know. That, oh, that's great. Uh, that's so great. That's how you run a festival, he, man. He makes it accessible. Neil was actually really disappointed that you didn't get a second pass this year. To get yeah, I didn't do, him. I, last year I did the TCM podcast, which mm-hmm. was great. And they showed a promo on the actual TCM channel. So that was huge for me. Oh, hey, look, cool. I, I'm on TCM. You know? Oh, that's great. And uh, hopefully in many years to come, some movies that I've had parts on will make it to TCM. That'll mm-hmm. be another. Well, I'm, I'm looking yeah. at the list, too, and it's like they're obviously doing a lot of movies from from the 40s and 50s and 60s and the 70s. But they even put in like um, uh, American Graffiti, which is a film I saw as a kid in the theater. Isn't it still 70s? American yeah, graffiti? I think it might have been. What is that? Yeah, no, that's the 70s. 78, But Dreyfus came by and gave a talk before American Graffiti. Oh, cool. I didn't see it, but I saw Man. him in the lobby, like walking around. He that's a guy who I would love to see speak because it, he just has one of those, um, you know, I don't know. He's just one of those guys who actually I'm yeah. American Graffiti was 1973. Uh, George Lucas. Um, this movie, I remember when it came out. Oh, I know what I did. I know when this happened. I didn't see it when it came out. I they re-released it in my city in like 78 or 79. Okay. And I remember watching it as a kid, confused, because I was like, why is Han Solo drag racing? Like, I, I didn't I, I was like... Really? Thing, I, I, I still was Didn't like, know the concept of acting, so... Well, I was like, Han Solo's drag racing with the one of the Laverne and Shirley people. There's the, there's, yeah. there's the kid, you know, from... So this is your first time you realize that actors did different roles. Yeah, it was kind of... Was like, How old were you? 73. Yeah. Uh, 73, I was four. Okay. I was. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. But then I had seen. Oh, wait, 73. I saw it after. I saw it in 78. So I was like eight or nine. So it was after you had just seen Star Wars. I just seen Star Wars. So I was like seven or eight. And I was like kind of getting it, but not. Right. You know what I mean? Where's his vest? Where's his vest? Yeah, where's his lightsaber? There's the guy from Happy Days. How come the Wookiee doesn't help him change the tire? Yeah, you know what I mean? Why is he not drag racing with the Force? I grew up with my dad watching movies. So I. Immediately got the concept. He turned me on. That's why I'm such a movie mm-hmm. freak. It, it, it all goes back to my dad. Uh, this is an act. Now he played this in the other movie and stuff like that. So I immediately understood the concept of actors play different roles in different films. And when they, John Wayne was a cowboy, the next he was a Marine, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, you didn't have that because in your town, your little town, as you said, there were pods. <laughs> <laughs> and people were replaced. <laughs> Graham has no emotion. I don't. It's taken away by We don't Donald, understand. He Donald didn't Sutherland like it. He said his repeat. mother wasn't his mother, and now it is his mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, American Graffiti is, um, it's, it's, it's pre-Star Wars George Lucas. Um, it is a lot of fun. And if you want to see all these young, these people, Cindy Williams, Ron Howard, Mackenzie Phillips, really young. Great cast, yeah. great, great story. Cast. That's where I actually met George Lucas. I met him at uh, Aspen, the comedy festival. Oh, really? Yeah, that's where I got the picture with him. Um, he uh, was up there for a, a reunion for American Graffiti. They had a screening. Mm-hmm. And um, it was him, Richard Dreyfus, and I think a couple other people uh, showed up for it. It was, it was great. And I got to tell you, I... Um, it's funny because it's one of those things where 
uh, the guy that played um, Johnny or whatever, Paul Lamatt. Yeah. He was one of those guys who he did that. He did more American Graffiti. He, he did, did a couple others. He did the Howard Hughes The one. Howard Hughes one. And then, like, there wasn't that, you know what I mean? Like, there wasn't that much. He, he did Melvin and Howard. I mean, he was in American History X, but not, you know, like, that he was so, American Graffiti had such a big part in it. And then, yeah. and, and then you just didn't see him as much after that. And you just, you wonder why. If you look at his IMDb page, um, he was a Vietnam War vet. Uh, and he was like, <laughs> the, won the Vietnam Service Medal. And what he, more can he do for you? Yeah. <laughs> Not only that, but it appeared in many of your favorite films. <laughs> well, it's yeah. not that he hasn't done for me. Hey, I, what happened to you? No, I always wonder, like, I always wonder with somebody like that, what what did happen? Like, did he just make a choice? Like, I remember I hear him John Savage said, and he like went to Africa for a, a number of years and just did charity work because he was kind of fried with Hollywood. Did Paul Amat do that? He might did, have done that. It could have been any. Yeah, uh, was it anything? A, was it, I always wonder. When well, they were talking about a comedian the other night, just in the last ten years, who got deals and he was hot, and he decided, nope, don't want it. Moved to Florida, works down there, and is happy. He just didn't. He said, "I don't want to have to answer to people." Well, the, I get it. You know, honestly, like having been doing this a long time, never had any real crazy fame, little little taste of it. But seeing friends like Zach Galifianakis or somebody like that go through Ken Jeong, big crazy yeah. fame, mm-hmm. and seeing part of me going, "I don't would I want that much? Would I want TMZ crawling up my ass and all that stuff? I don't know, man. I don't no, know. But the thing is, you negotiate it as healthily as you can right. and move on. I mean, that's what happens. Sure. You know, I think what- But my point is, though, I get somebody seeing that, tasting it or whatever, and then going, no. Yeah. Some people, how could you do that? I get that. I get that. I get somebody just walking away from this going, it's too nuts for I'd me. I'd like a chance to- Take a swing at it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 59. I'm still out. Give me here. a chance to walk away. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting gig. Uh, and as we get older and we learn more and understand the business more, we see that when people do that, maybe walk away, so like that. Okay, I get it. It's not you know when you're 22. Oh wait, you're going to be famous. No, and then you hit your 30s and 40s. I understand. Right, white people don't want that attention on them all the time. Yeah, you know, it's even with his appearance on Mad Men. I go to the market now, I get some double takes, and someone will come up mm-hmm. to me, and it's fine. It's right. great. It's great. And Australia once I did a TV show. This is going back twenty years. Everybody knew my name for five days, and it was kind of fun for three days. And after a while, it was kind of weird. Right. You know. Um, then I came home. But if you're going to be famous, go to Australia because people are so nice. You know? That's a great. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, a great country. You know, I want to be famous um, there. People just want to say, hey, I like your work or, mm-hmm. you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So if you don't take it too seriously, you know, I think that's the best way to handle it. Of what little I've seen and been a part of. Right. I, and believe You can't me. take it too seriously. You also have to know that, you know, it's so fickle and show business is crazy and, you know, whatever. Everyone's got their new flavor of the month and all that kind of stuff. And even before Mad Men, doing Louie and Punk and all these stuff, you, people, your, your mug gets out there. So I get on a plane. Some people do double takes, but they don't know me. They, did I go to seventh grade with that? Yeah, guy? yeah. Was, was he the weatherman? <laughs> Looks familiar. So it, that is that's a level of fame I'm really happy with. Yeah, you know, just the right amount. Yeah. Um, look. All right. Well, that was a, that's our episode, guys. Yeah, that well, was a lot of fun. I Before, would say this to comedy film nerds: go on TCM website, 
Find out when they're having this film festival next year. Mark it in the calendar. And if you can, save your money and, and, and you know, come to New York. It is a New York, uh, L.A. You know, you do have to pay for a hotel and a plane, and the tickets aren't cheap. They're around four or $500, mm-hmm. but it's worth it. If you're really into films, mm-hmm. this is movie heaven. Right. You know, realized. And mm-hmm. the sad thing, Mickey Rooney was supposed to make an appearance, passed away like a week before, yeah. a couple weeks before, so that was a drag. But someone you love and has influenced your life is going to be there. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's a, that's and, a great you, bitch. You might be able to ask them a question or two. Yeah, and they'll be really friendly and nice and yeah, accessible. Because yeah. and... they're there for the same reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's well, great. That's cool. Um, all right, Alan. Any, Thanks, guys. You thank you, dude. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for going there and covering it every year and writing us. We always get a yeah, great. It's really awesome. We always get a great article out of you for it, and you come on the show and talk about it, and it's it's really cool. And and we have this all the time when we bring like when we had my dad on the show, he was recommending classic movies, and fans who listen always go, "Oh, I had no, I've never, I've never seen these, never movies, heard, like yeah. I never heard of Sorcerer, right? Oh, it's you know great. what I mean? Yes, and, and don't you know? Disconnect the phone, sit down, watch it. It's. And just trust it's going somewhere. Oh, I don't know. You don't need to understand because you're going to understand. Yeah. Soon enough. And you're going to dig it. It's going to be great. It was great. And it won't, it won't have Steve McQueen in a $50 haircut. No. No. <laughs> no. And I like Steve McQueen. I love Steve McQueen. <laughs> but you're right, though. That, that, that is a good point, though, in general. There's certain movie stars that get too big to play certain roles. Right. You know? And, and it's other types that can play that sort of... Like Tom Hanks has been able to pull it off where he can play a guy that's a regular guy. Captain Phillips. I mean, he was that dude. He was that dude. You didn't sit there and go. It's rare. It's rare when a giant star is still able to do that. Paul Newman in The Verdict. You know, you you didn't see glamorous Paul Newman. And he he was that. that Like Brad Pitt. As great an actor he is, you still kind of see Brad Pitt he's, in a lot of roles. But part of it is because he's really good looking. Steve McQueen was like crazy good looking. And I think like these other guys that are just like okay looking guys or whatever. Uh, Paul Newman, I, I'd say Tom Hanks is pretty damn handsome. Yeah. Don't you be trashing Tom Hanks. <laughs> no, but there's some actors that just can do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And even if they have a lot of fame, I, personally, I think Brad Pitt's great. He is great. Yeah, he is. no, he's, yeah, a, great he's a great actor, and he does he does a good job of it. But in certain role, I mean, he has to work hard. Like he does stuff like like what he did in Snatch or whatever, where he plays. And again, that's not he's not the lead of that film. Mm-hmm. Um, he can pull it off, but it's hard. It's the hard. Pothead in True Romance. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, come on, he was that dude. He was mm-hmm. that. You know, here's probably the best looking, most glamorous guy at that time. He, Dumb Louise had come mm-hmm. out. And there he is playing, uh, you know, yeah. pothead hitting on a honey bear bong. I know, you know, and it's totally believable. So Graham is wrong. No. <laughs> no. Well, if we're going to get into the argument, then I will say uh, my point is those are all he's not leading those movies. You're right. You're right. You're always right. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't need to be a fight, Alan. <laughs> I don't know. I like Come to mix it up. And every time I see you, I think about a kid who doesn't give a shit about comedy. <laughs> and I got get up. We got to show these. This is live. This isn't your yeah. podcast. Let's get even it together. It, <laughs> even though it hasn't been invented <laughs> yet. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Alan, Always a great time, guys. Thank you. So where can so people find yeah, you online? Uh, where it's online. Online, alanhavey.com. You want to find out where I'm uh, doing my stand-up uh, mm-hmm. thing. I play in Tahoe and Vegas at Harvey's and Harris, respectfully, at the improvs there. I'm in New York at the Comedy Cellar. Uh, and uh, you know, you just go online and check me out. Send me a message if you want. Let me know what you thought of Sorcerer. 
and this podcast. I'd love to hear back from you. And that's it, kids. Say hi to say hi to Coach Havy, guys. Say hi to Coach. <laughs> Easy Havy. on the weed. Get yeah. it together and get it together. <laughs> You have any? You need any life coaching? Some advice? <laughs> oh, that's going to cost you. I don't give that out for free. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to the show. Obviously, um, follow us at Comedy Film Nerds. Yes, ComedyFilmNerds.com. Um, you know, as we said, uh, spend twenty dollars with us once a year. That'll be helpful. That helps us out, especially right now when we have a movie budget. We have a movie budget, <laughs> and of course, you can follow. Um, you know, we're we're watching all the footage with earbuds and everything this summer, and you can get updates on that if you follow all the earbuds uh, at earbuds pod movie and the earbuds uh, earbuds podmovie dot com and all that stuff. So, and of course, LA Podcast Festival September twenty sixth through the twenty eighth. Um, we've been adding shows all the time. The the lineup is pre- getting pretty solid. Yeah, it's uh, Doug Benson, Jay Moore, mm-hmm. first time doing the festival. Jonah Ray, Janet mm-hmm. Varney, um, Stephanie Wilder Taylor. It's a, it's a great lineup as yeah. always, and it's a new hotel which I know you guys are going to love. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, LAPodfest.com, September twenty sixth through the twenty eighth. Hurry up! The the discounted hotel rooms are going fast. Um, thank you once again to our guest, Alan Havey. Um, my name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember... Han shot first. Drag racing. <laughs> Get it together. <laughs>